At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to episode number seven of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Uh, again, I'm your host, Adam Miller, here with John Borsma. And today we have a special guest here, Zach. Uh, Zach Farrenbaugh from The Hunting Public is on with us. How are you doing today, Zach? Doing great. How are you? Oh, we're doing fine. We are getting, I think we got probably six, eight inches of snow overnight last night. So uh, hoping to get out and yeah, do some scouting been... this morning, but it wasn't uh, wasn't happening. Yeah, we uh, we've been getting hit pretty hard with the snow too. We tried a little rabbit hunting this morning and got a couple and did a lot of missing. <laughs> Sounds like my bow season, but uh, <laughs> but so for the people that don't know, um, tell us a little bit about the hunting public. So if 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 someone didn't know, uh, you know, who you are or, or what you guys are doing, um, give us a little background on on that. Well, right now, uh, we are all on YouTube and Amazon, and we're just making videos that are uh, mostly public land, uh, whitetail, turkey hunting, and just hunting in general. But, you know, we're really trying to, uh, I guess, cater to all hunters. You know, the hunting public is the name that we came up with, and we felt like that just kind of encompassed every type of hunter there could be and you know we really enjoy you know the social aspect of hunting hunting with our friends family and uh you know just kind of making it a group thing and we've been having a blast doing it we've been hunting like this you know as a group for you know all of us in some fashion with our friends and family pretty much our whole lives so we just wanted to kind of you know create a brand that was based off of what we love doing and so how did it right all... Right now you can find our videos. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, how did it all come together? Because it looked, you know, from listening to you guys and, and, and watching your stuff, it sounds like you're from Ohio, Wisconsin, Missouri. So how did you guys all form this uh, this group? Well, we all were living here, working with Midwest Whitetail, and then we just eventually wanted to kind of try to do our own thing and just went for it and we'd been hunting together for several years and, you know, it's just kind of like, we felt like here, you know, we were the same type of group that we've always hunted with, you know, just our buddies. And, uh, you know, we still have our buddies from back home that come hunt with us or we go hunt with them. And, 
you know, just kind of around the country, just, you know, moving around, especially during turkey season, we get out and travel quite a bit and hunt with friends. And, you know, like my dad likes to come out here and hunt and I like to go back home and like to go back home a little bit more and hunt. And I guess that's just kind of how it started is it was just a, you know, an easy fit. We all enjoyed hunting together and uh, just kind of, kind of went for it and didn't really have any expectation, I guess, for it. When we started, it was just going to be like, well, We'll just film our hunts this season and see what happens and, you know, <laughs> hopefully hopefully don't starve with, you know, not a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is your full-time job then? I mean, that's what it sounded like listening to your podcast yeah. and things like that. Yeah, um, pr- pretty much. I mean, we we do production, I guess, is our is our main source of income is just, you know, producing videos for, um, you know, different brands and stuff like that. Most, mostly hunting, you know, recreation type, outdoor recreation, hunting, fishing type brands we work with and just kind of producing anything that they need. So that's how we're, that's how we're making, you know, I guess a living out of it. And so Cause, I guess sadly you can't just go hunting every day. <laughs> right. I mean, that that's what it, it, you guys make it out to, to look like that. It seems like, you know, and I guess you have yeah. such a, a large group that, you know, while a couple of guys are working, I'm sure the other ones are out filming. Right. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, you talk about, um, when you were in college and things like that, is that where your background is, is in video editing and stuff like that or conservation or yeah. just, yeah, I actually, uh, well, kind of, not kind of, and kind of not, I suppose. I, my, my major was like kind of uh, a little bit different than the norm. I basically created, um, a major with a focus of like multiple different majors. So one was media, um, another was outdoor recreation, then another was geography. So I just kind of mashed those three together and then, uh, you know, there was no, you know, have a hunting show or produce hunting videos, you know, major. So I just thought that was the best way to go about choosing a major was just to mash those three things together and hope that someday I could find a job. <laughs> so then, uh, you guys, did you guys intern through Midwest Whitetail? Is that how you guys met? Yeah, was that's in- how we all met was in through an internship in Midwest Whitetail is how, how we all, uh, you know, originally met each other. So that was what I did right out of college was actually was like the last little bit of college for me was an internship that helped me, you know, fulfill the credits that I needed. And, uh, that's, that's kind of how I ended up here in Southern Iowa. Not a bad place to land if you're trying to do uh hunting <laughs> production, well, I guess. I'll, I'll tell you this. It's all right for hunting. Man, it is boring on the weekend. <laughs> and so, um, with your, uh, your, you guys said that you'd all grown up hunting and things like that. I guess, um, can you talk a little bit about um, how you grew up hunting? Uh, I listened to one of the podcasts, and you, everybody was talking about, you know, who their um, influences or who the hunters that they looked up to, and you had mentioned. Um, your dad and your grandpa and your uncles and things like that. Um, the way that you guys are hunting is is kind of what's drawn me and uh, I, I think a lot of people 
to you guys is that you're, uh, you know, we grew up here hunting runways and food and things like that, but never mm -hmm. bedding, never any, any of that type of cover. And then for, for me, you know, I guess the way that you guys approach, I guess with your, um, your background in geography, um, kind of plays into it a lot, reading the topo maps and looking like that, mm -hmm. you know, the way that you guys yeah. hunt, I would see things in field and stream and it would be like, Oh, there's a field over here and there's this little pocket here. And then there's a Creek bottom over here. Well, you know, where we hunt public land in Michigan, you're not going to find anything even remotely resembling that. And so I don't know if I'd have <laughs> right. to get creative to try and recreate that. But I mean, is that how you grew up was the hunting style that you're doing now? Or is it something that's evolved over a long period of time? Oh, it's definitely evolved over a long period of time. I mean, I've definitely tried, and as well as, as Aaron and Greg, too, um, definitely tried all different types of stuff. You know, there was a time frame, I would say, where, you know, it was actually closer to what I'm doing now when I was younger, but then I kind of got into the, uh, you know, what everybody else was doing and and actually the time frame when I was doing what everybody else was doing was when I felt like I was, um, you know, kind of the most stagnant in my, you know, learning, you know, throughout the seasons, you know, I'd get done at the end of the season and I really wasn't learning anything. I wasn't having anything new happen to me. Um, but you know, when I was younger, I guess, like, I guess going back to the background and, you know, learning about hunting, you know, I was, hunting with my dad and my grandpa's mostly. And, you know, in Ohio, it's a lot different than the style of hunting here. Um, you know, we were doing a lot of things like, you know, I guess, I guess how I would explain back to what I've said when I was younger, I felt like I was almost closer to what I'm doing now. It's like this gun season, I put a lot of strategy into like some of the things that I was doing when I was a kid that my grandpa and dad taught me, like, Hey, get in the middle of that woodlot where you know nobody's going to be and everybody's going to be bumping deer around you get you know get into the bedding area or whatever so like i guess i learned a lot of that type of stuff from them and i learned i got into hunting just by squirrel hunting and went up with my grandpa and i was like really really young and you know i just graduated to attempting to shoot at turkeys and deer and you know i just always loved it ever since i was a little kid i just spending as much time in the woods as i and and water i guess fishing as well as i could and just you know over time eliminating the things that weren't working and you know kind of to keep keep track of the things that were working i guess and i think we all kind of have that same background of we've we've tried it all we've um and we'll continue to try you know new ideas and stuff like that it's it's just a never-ending uh process of learning i guess if we i guess if also if we get stagnant then it gets boring you know we like to try new stuff and continue to learn something new every year I would, one of my favorite things to say is you learn more from you learn more from failing trying new stuff than you do doing the same thing every year yeah i think for me that was a big thing uh this season is i didn't get introduced or i didn't i mean around here it seems like the people that we hunt with and the people that i talk to have never heard of the buck bedding or dan infault style of hunting um sure and it seems like i don't know if it's just becoming more and more popular or if it's just 
that's what I've been focusing on. So I hear it everywhere. People that are successful, I, I key in on those exact same tactics. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but I mean, this year, mid season, um, I started to look at some of that stuff and I had two really good encounters of really good bucks in areas where I never would have been ever before. And I think you mm-hmm. said when you become stagnant, I think that that's what happens to a lot of hunters and especially a lot of, uh, public land hunters is you go to a spot where you know that there's either not going to be any guys or you, you've seen deer in the past versus going out and trying to figure out where the, actually the deer that you're looking for are. And mm-hmm. that was a big thing for me this year was the getting out of that comfort zone or, you know, learning something by failing, I guess, just throwing it all to the yeah. wind and saying, I'm going to do something different. Um, yeah, for sure. So with, I, uh, Oh, go ahead. I actually don't, I, I don't, I don't even like to hunt the same areas year after year. Like there's been some places like, like where I shot, I shot a buck in 2016. I never even stepped foot over there. You know, I just like to, just because I feel like once you figure something out, if you just try to take advantage of only that, now I'm not saying I'll never hunt there again, but you know, I like to explore new things and try to, you know, learn a new spot every year or, or feel like I've, you know, had success in a new spot versus just doing the same exact thing. I, I actually wouldn't mind, you know, in the future hunting some different public land areas completely in Iowa, in Iowa, just go start from scratch because, you know, one of the most fun times I've ever had was just going to Nebraska, just kind of out of the clear blue and, you know, only scouting it on a map for a few days prior and then just kind of winging it out there and just learning on the fly. That was, you know, learned a ton super fast out there. And that's, I think, I, I, I personally feel like for me, I learn best when I'm just trying something totally different, different locations, whatever it may be, just bouncing around, covering as much ground as possible. And that's one of the things that I was thinking about too, when thinking about, you know, what did I want to talk to you about or what did I want to uh, learn from you guys was when, when you say that that you go back into a different, um, you don't go back into the same area um, just because you want to learn new things. How are you Mm -hmm. looking at these areas? I mean, I know, the types of areas on the map that that you're looking for, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem that you're dissuaded too much by guys. I mean, you in the the buck that uh, the video of the the gun buck that uh, Jake shot, and then the one that you shot in the ghillie suit. You guys were yeah. walking right by guys, and it didn't seem yeah. to phase you one bit. Yeah, um, I think you know, I, I obviously walking past people, I guess is is, you know, I, I, we're not necessarily, I guess let's put it this way. We're not trying to mess anybody up and we're just, you know, keeping our own, our, keeping our distance. But we do feel like, I personally feel like coming from a state where a lot of, you know, pressure is existent everywhere. Like you're not going to go onto a piece of public and there not be somebody there. So I like to use pressure to my advantage. And I feel like, you know, one thing that like in, in Jake, especially too, I know, you know, when we're gun hunting, a lot of our strategy when we're going into it, because we're from Ohio and Wisconsin, where gun season's, you know, really popular. It's popular everywhere, but, you know, it's a lot of pressure compared to here. You know, we're actually, especially during the gun seasons, like, we're always using that to our advantage because a mature buck knows where those people are going to be, especially if they are doing the same thing that they're always doing. 
those tree stands are there all year. I knew those guys could potentially be sitting in those stands, you know, when we went into that spot where Jake killed that one. But, you know, those bucks aren't very far away. They're just, you know, smart enough to sneak away. And, uh, you know, as long as you know there's a mature buck in an area, you know, he's he's used to those people. He's not going to totally leave, you know, his his area that he's been living in his whole life. You know, he's not going to go right past their stand, but he'll be there and he'll move somewhere in daylight. He just knows how to do it without being seen. So I guess I, I kind of like a little bit of hunting pressure because it definitely pushes deer into holes, you know, like it, it makes them go where I want them to be, I guess. And I feel like if you totally avoid pressure, sometimes you can get in like here. We're lucky enough that there's enough public land where we can find these places where seriously nobody ever goes. And there may, may, maybe even a small piece of public, for example, maybe a small, oh, 300 acre piece that, you know, you get there and you're like, I don't know that anybody's pulled in here in the last three months, you know? And, and when that's the case, sometimes the deer are just like, not where you want them to be, I guess. They're too close to the road. You end up spooking them or something. So I actually like a little bit of pressure. I like people hunting around me because it gets them, those deer, specifically mature bucks pushed back into a specific area. Now, we're also in high density area with fairly low pressure compared to most areas in the country. So, you know, that is, that does play a part into it. I mean, there's no denying that, but the pressure is simply lower than like where you guys are hunting. You know, I know for a fact <laughs> there's yeah. significantly less hunters. So, you know, a little bit of pressure definitely can in an area where there's enough deer numbers, there's enough public land, um, you know, it can definitely help. And there's a, you know, not incredible pressure where all the deer are completely gone. Cause on the other hand, hunted places in Ohio where, there's seriously so much pressure. There's not even deer on that piece of public, you know, like it's two totally different things. So in that case, you know, I'm still not worried about people necessarily, as long as they're not right where I want to be, you know, cause that's, that's ultimately when it, when it matters most is if they're right where you want, where you want to be, you know? Yeah. I think we ran into Sorry, that. I got a to little... ramble in there. Oh, that's no, it's fine. It's good information. <laughs> Um, I think we ran into that a little bit when we were in Ohio was that, you know, for mm-hmm. us, he drove six hours and, uh, I mean, John had a guy walk right by him with the last hour of light and just said, yeah. good luck, you know, <laughs> kept on going real polite, nice guy. Sure. But, and so it's easy for us to get discouraged. So like I say, that, that buck that, uh, that Jake killed, there was, I mean, I don't know how many guys were in the picture. Uh, you know, yeah. how many guys did you see? And you know, they uh, were shooting saw, bucks all around think, you. Yeah, right. I think total um, that morning there was, we saw at least, oh, I think we saw at least four guys. And then there was a number of other guys up on the hill. Cause those, uh, the father and son that were, that shot the one close, real close to us. They had some buddies that were up on, you know, further up on the hill. So there was a bunch of people in there that day, but there's still a couple mature bucks that, that, uh, you know, have, have survived back there and we know are alive in that same area because they're, they're smart enough to know where people aren't going to go. And that's in those back corners deep in there, you know, just nasty, nasty places to get to and long walks from the road. A lot of people just avoid 
avoid those areas because, you know, they just feel like they're putting too much pressure on the deer. And, you know, the way we go about things is you go in once a month or a couple times a month throughout the, you know, three month season or whatever. And you just get real aggressive, but you're not going to leave for good, you know, and I, and that goes, that goes for even a place like Ohio. It's definitely different where I think, um, you know, they may not be there every day or as consistently as they are in some of these places that we find in Ohio or in, in, in Iowa, but you know, they'll be back. You know, you may, you may go in there and hunt a bedding area, but if it's, I say this all, we say, we say this all the time. It's, it's not, it's, it's, if they, if they're in, the, if you found the best bedding area, where else are they going to go? If you find the best, they're not going to leave the best. They're not going to go to something that's worse just because you spooked them one time. Now they won't, you know, they may find something else that they can, you know, feel comfortable in, or they probably have two or three of the best, but if you find, you know, the two or three of the best in that area, that's where those deer are going to be. Cause you know, they're not going to just go bed in a subpar area because they're going to get killed doing that. So I think that, uh, you know, just finding, finding places where the bulk of people aren't going to go and finding the best bedding location, you know, those they're not going to leave unless, unless you, you know, hunt it way too much, but you know, once a month or so, twice a month, really, I don't, we don't feel affects that much. And, and, and that goes for everywhere that we've hunted. Yeah. See, like <clears throat> here in Michigan, I think it's kind of the, for one guys are kind of stuck in their ways. They go and hunt the same stands, you know, over and over and over. And then they're afraid mm-hmm. to go in, you know, I, I, and I'm kind of guilty of that too. Like, I don't want to get in there and bump the deer, but the way sure. your guys are doing it, you know, sheds a lot of light on it where, you know, mm-hmm. like you're saying, use, you know, like this year when I was out scouting, I was walking through and looking and, you know, up oh, and marking it on my onyx. It's like, oh, there's a tree stand, there's a tree stand, here's a good rub, you know, here's a good runway. Mm-hmm. Get back into the thick stuff. It's like, all right, this is where I want to, oh, shit, tree stand, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but so it's, it's almost like you got to kind of, push it in even a little farther and get closer and get more aggressive and only hunt it when the situation's right, you know, and then hunt it that once or, you know, twice in a month or whatever, and then, you know, go Mm -hmm. to the next spot. Sure. Well, and I think another thing too is, you know, don't, so many guys, I think, bump a deer and when that deer, they see it running away and I've been guilty of it too. And I, and I still do this, but I, um, take a step back and look deeper. I, you know, everybody sees that buck running away and they're like, Oh no, like, Oh, poor me. Like I messed up. And like, now my hunt's over. No, suck it up. Look where he was and figure out why he was there and figure out how to get him the next time. You know, you learn from that stuff. Like, I, like we have got to the point now where we just laugh, like, Hey, we did it. Like we spooked one, you know, there goes a huge one. Like we did it. Like we found, we found him, you know, and I, I guess it's, you, there's the only thing you can do is, is laugh really and, and learn from it because when you spook one, they're literally giving you the exact spot where they were at that time, you know, and whether it's their, you know, cruising, whether it's their, their, um, bedded with a doe, locked down with a doe, whether they're 
bedded in early September, whatever it may be, like you're learning where that deer was. And I think that, you know, to a certain degree, I would say we, we try to spook bucks, you know, right. I'm not Good saying that we want to, but we're trying. Cause <laughs> like, it's like the one that uh, there was a hunt that we had in, um, oh, it would have been late September in Missouri. Aaron and I both looked at the map and we're like, right there's where we want to go. Sure enough, the, on the X where we pointed on the map, here jumps a buck out of the creek and or out of the edge of the creek and runs down across. But like, you know, we didn't think sit there and think of that as a failure. We thought of that as a, as a, as a success because we learned, okay, you know, that is the spot. And then we went in there the next night and almost got shot at him. Now, not every deer is going to be the same. Not every spot's going to be the same. But we learned from that. We used it to our advantage and almost capitalized on it. So, um, well, and and also, I mean, the Nebraska buck that I shot this year, I wouldn't have shot that buck if we wouldn't have literally went in and did a deer drive in there, essentially. I mean, we were, wind, we were trying to bump them with our wind, but, you know, we were trying to spook every deer out of that thing and went in there a couple of days later and shot the buck that bumped out of the bedding area in there. So, you know, I guess it's, it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to be afraid of spooking deer. And, you know, you may spook a deer and feel like you've ruined that day, but in reality it may help you kill the next deer two days, you know, or that deer two days from then, you know? So, uh, I, I really try to stress not being afraid of spooking deer. You know, I, I, I think that, um, it just, I think it holds a lot of hunters back that a lot of guys that, you know, are really close. I feel, you know, they, 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 they're close, they're in the game, but they're too afraid to just go for it a little bit. And I think that a lot of guys, and the reason I say that is because since I started doing it to almost the point of like obsessively aggressive, you know, like I'm obsessed with it. Like I have to be, I have to be too close or I'm not even like confident at all, you know? And since I've made that move, the encounters with bucks and just immature bucks has just like changed dramatically. And I would say same for all, all of us, you know? Well, I can see exactly how that happens because, you know, for the longest time and even, you know, right now, is that I just love bow hunting because for for us here, you know, it was never, for me and my family, it was never big bucks or anything like that. It was filling the freezer and, you know, our, we had mm-hmm. some property to hunt that had a really high doe population. So, you know, doe permits were easy to come by and you went out with a rifle and you shot a deer. That was just, that's all, that's all it was. And uh, this year, mm-hmm. since, like I say, being introduced to this style of hunting and and actually um looking at why things happened instead of i put myself in the right spot that was the reason and i just happened to be lucky yep. or uh, i i thought about it correctly but and starting to to even look back and all of the the things that i'd seen in the woods and and put it all together these bucks bedding on the ridges in a certain manner or where they're where they were at or you know just behaviors and things like that but exactly what you said, I got into a spot and I, I kind of looked at it and I had one stand up 60 yards from me as I was oh, looking for sweet. a tree. I just got a little bit too far out into the wind 
and it was like uh-huh. unbelievable. Like the heartache that I had, you know, was like, oh my gosh, I was so close. Um, yeah. And then I got up a tree and I had two does stand up 15 yards in front of me that I didn't see while I was sitting there just all of a sudden. So, I mean, I got, I was in the right spot. And so that was super reassuring. And then our property that we have in the upper peninsula, I was just trying to figure out where the deer would be. And, uh, I jumped a really big one out of a spot where I had heard Dan Infault say before, if you get into a spot and you find a bed and, you you turn around and say, how would you ever kill this deer? You're in the right spot. And that's exactly what yeah. it was. And still, even to this day, I'm thinking like, I don't even know how I would ever get in there to, to set sure. up to kill that deer. And for me, it's always been bow hunting because it's been so much a challenge. But it's almost like now I want to be out every single opportunity that I have trying to f- figure these creatures out you know, yeah. using this information. So it's I can see how you could be, yeah. become obsessed real quickly. Oh yeah. And I, yeah, I guess kind of, I don't know, something that I think about a lot is, you know, like you just said, I, I, I like different stages, right? There's always a different stage. There's a different, you know, uh, I have a different mentality for every season or a couple of weeks, really a couple of days. And, uh, I hear a lot of people say, you know, gun hunting is, is not a challenge and whatever else. And, you know, to be honest, I think that a lot of places uh, here, especially, you know, when some guy's got a food plot and it's negative five degrees and he's got standing beans, yeah, shooting him with a gun isn't quite as challenging as shooting him with a bow. But on public land, I have a harder time. I've had a harder time killing a buck with a gun the last. I haven't killed a buck with a gun the last three years and killed one with a bow every year. So I enjoy. I'm. I'm. I'm actually to the point where I wish I could gun hunt more because I can't kill one with a gun. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they, they, they virtually disappear by the second, you know, or end of the gun season. I always get the, the second gun season. That way it's just, it's a little bit longer, but it's kind of, um, you know, there's been a five day gun season before that. So these deer at that point are really pressured and it's a fun challenge because they're doing different stuff. They're doing stuff where, you know, they're moving still a little bit, but they're in the pockets that, you know, they feel truly safest. And and, and I think that that's a fun challenge to try to understand that because I've gotten close, but haven't quite figured it out yet. So it's just, you know, every season, every part of season, I think is like you said, it's, it's uh fun to try to learn because, there's always some different factor that's changing and deer just so adaptable to pressure and, and, uh, food source changes, whatever it may be, you know, it's, it's fun to try to understand them all throughout the whole year. Now, are you guys in Iowa, are you guys, um, shotgun or do you, can you guys use rifles also? You can use, they just open it up so that you can use straight, like straight wall rifle cartridge, okay. but. But, you know, um, well, it's been shotgun for forever. Right. I don't know that you really have any more advantage with the rifle, but, so that's um, the one yeah. thing up here, so, <laughs> the rifles, What's that? I said, the one thing up here with the rifles, is a little scary in the public land and guys are shooting, oh, yeah. you know, 30 at six, seven mags, even, you know, 
300 wind mags and stuff on these whitetails. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of the public land here, I mean, they're just, there's a lot of small plots, you know. And sure. It's, it gets pretty scary. So. Yeah, I could imagine that. It, the shotgun and and the uh, and the muzzleloaders aren't as quite as scary. With yeah, I've, I've actually never hunted in a in a state with um, or, or you know, I guess I've hunted in states with it, but um, I've never hunted a actual rifle season. Like I'm super stoked to do that someday. I'd love to go to <laughs> I'd love to go to Missouri and hunt um, with a rifle some year. I think that'd be a blast. So we're just. We actually are, yeah, like, we're right on the line where we're at and, you know, kind of. Say five miles south of us is the straight walled and right. where we're at sitting right now is, is rifle, so. And north, so, yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. So, well. so you're talking about um, killing them with, uh, with a bow. Do you think that that's, and it seems to be everything I've read and, researched is it because of all the scouting that you guys do and you go in you already know where these bucks are bedded and it just takes you know a matter of time until you know one steps out that you've done all the research and that's where they're at and they haven't been pressured as much yet um with a bow yeah i think i think the success what it boils down to is like like you said is, is the scouting but it's not just it's not just the scouting, you know, of a direct spot. So like this year, the spot that I killed a buck in was a area that I have scouted. Like, you know, I had scouted, um, specifically about a year ago from now. So I had scouted mid February or whatever. So that spot, I had an idea, but, um, or where I wanted to be, and and it worked out, but but in 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 other situations, definitely tons of other situations, it's kind of places that you know we've been to, we've been in the area, but then it's like you know just based off of what we have been seeing. So so for example, you know we bump a buck out of a you know a willow patch with you know a cedar patch above him and and a you know, I guess open creek bottom on the other side of them. It's like then we can take that what we learned to a different location and go into something like that. So it's not just not just scouting, um, you know, in the off season. It's scouting in the season. It's scouting um, on the map. It's a lot of map scouting, you know. And and by looking at something on, you know with you know boots on the ground scouting a spot and then you come back to the laptop you sit down you pull up google earth and you say okay that's you know that's where i found that rub line that's where i found that bed that's where i found that you know area where they're browsing on you know locust pods and you start drawing all that up on that spot then you can start looking at a map and taking that other location so going into places that we know we're also just taking stabs at stuff that way we can keep spots you know other spots fresh so yeah i guess it's it, it really ultimately boils down to scouting and just spending way too much 
time thinking about, you know, both setups and how to get really close to the bucks, you know, with the bow. But I think, I guess, were you, were you also asking like how, why I feel that we have success with the bow versus with the gun sometimes? Is that, is that kind of what you meant too? Well, I, I mean, I think you kind of hit on what I was asking was, you know, do you think that okay. the, because, and I guess while you were saying that, I thought, well, I guess it's also the first season. So you've had sure. from, from February to, you know, September or whatever to figure out, you know, where's the best spots you've been kind of toiling over it and saying, okay, well, this is where we need to be. <laughs> so you, it was kind yeah. of more, more fresh in your mind. It was just the first opportunity yeah, to get. I think it's also, yeah, it's like you've got, you know, you haven't had a gun season yet. You haven't had anybody plow through stuff, but the, the bucks are also very much more separated. So it's like it's separate. They're separated. They're in more spots. There's more of them, you know, in the bow season, but then, you know, it's always like these areas just start to shrink and they slowly shrink for power, you know, three months, these, these bedding areas and these areas with these deer going and the areas that they move in daylight just shrink constantly. And, you know, I think that's really fun to, um, you know, just keep tabs on all year. And I, and, and just year, you know, year after year experience, certain spots, whatever, certain areas, certain things we've seen. I mean, it's, there's been a definite progression of like some of the areas that we hunt, like that, kind of the strategy that I was using a lot was getting wearing that ghillie suit and like getting in the middle of the willows and stuff. Well, that took, that took a whole bunch of tree stand set up on too far away from those willows with swirling winds to, you know, but always seeing bucks down in those willows set up or down in the willows, you know, it took a couple a season or two, or actually definitely took two seasons to learn like, screw it. I got to get down in there. I got to be in, the middle of it or i'm you know just wasting my time because they're just going to smell me no matter what you know so um i think it's just a process of continuing to learn and just yeah i guess ultimately just scouting always always scouting so a couple things uh, i, I want to get into that uh that ghillie suit bow kill here in a minute but uh, <laughs> one of the questions that i had was and, and one of the things i realized that i'm doing absolutely wrong um is what would you say is your time scouting versus hunting and during the the season same question because i mean i feel like for me you know working family the whole thing you know every time i get an opportunity to hunt i feel like i should be mm -hmm. hunting where i think in yeah. reality i should maybe if it's not a good day to hunt i should be out there scouting or or you know, maybe prioritizing that a little bit differently. And then when it is a yeah. perfect opportunity to hunt, that's when I need to be capitalizing on the opportunities that I do have. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's a, it's a tough question to ask. Cause like my answer honestly is like, in some fashion, I like to think that every day I do some sort of scouting if that makes any sense at all, whether that's on a map, whether that's, um, uh, just literally driving five minutes outside of town and seeing what deer are doing, you know, what, what's the food source they're going to, you know, like what's, what are they eating right now? What are they eating in five days? What are they eating when the snow, the snow melts off? 
Um, today we went out shooting rabbits, but Brody and I were looking at, um, you know, we were out, main focus is rabbits, but I don't know how many times we stopped and we're like, hey, there's a big buck in here. Look at that track. You know, here's where the does are bedding. Here's where, um, you know, here's a rub line, whatever it may be. You know, this is something that we need to come back and check. And the reason that we were even rabbit hunting in that area is it's an area that I haven't, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to for deer yet. So like we weren't just rabbit hunting, we were deer scouting too. Not necessarily going in there and trying to find a perfect setup, but, you know, getting a quick, you know, brush over it. So in the off season, I like to do other things. I don't like to just deer hunt. You know, I like to turkey hunt. I like to rabbit hunt. I like to squirrel hunt. I mean, I go squirrel hunting, deer scouting in September, you know, like Jake and I found a real awesome scrape line that was hot, like the hottest scrape line we saw all year when we were squirrel hunting. So, you know, we went back and Brody and Jake hunted it and saw a couple bucks, you know, and it's like doing stuff like that, I think is, is crucial. Just being out in the woods constantly. And I think also something that I think a lot of people overlook and, and I probably should do more of it myself even is if you don't have the time to go hunting, go, go drive around somewhere. Now, whether that's your spot or your, um, I mean, even on your way home from work, if you just take the long route or whatever, you know, sometimes just seeing what deer are feeding on or t- picking up on one little thing may make that light bulb click. Like, Hey, tomorrow I've got to be under that red Oak tree close to that bedding area where I found that buck because I just saw, you know, five does feeding on a red oak tree out in the edge of the food, you know, a field. You know what I mean? I think little things like that are like, you can't, uh, I, you have to look at every deer encounter as some sort of scouting. Like, what is that deer doing right there at that time? Why, why is it there? You know, what's the wind? What's the food source it's going to? What's the bedding area it's coming from? And I think just constantly, thinking about something <laughs> deer related is is very key and i also think every time you're going into a tree stand I, I wouldn't say that we're always doing a bunch of scouting necessarily like where we don't have a bow or we're not like hunting but i do a lot of still hunting now and i learn a ton from that um it's like hey i'm tired of carrying the stand i've carried the stand for the last three days like i'm, I'm tired of it I'm going to still hunt and I'm going to eventually maybe get to a setup, but also maybe just not and just continue to learn like where the sign is by still hunting. I've found a lot of setups. So I guess that's one way that I really enjoy scouting, scouting during the season, I guess is just walking around, you know, and it's, I'm hunting and like I've had some really close calls still hunting uh, Sean and I walked up on, I think four bedded bucks in one day, just still hunting around, kind of learning about an area. It actually was the area that Jake killed that buck, um, during gun season, we went in there, still hunted it just to learn a bigger picture and, you know, in season sign. And by doing that, we knew where we were going to go and Jake killed that buck. And we also almost killed one, a couple of them that day. So. I think just, you know, not getting content, like you, you guys were mentioning, like people sitting in the same stand, 
like there's nothing worse to me. There's not nothing sounds for one. I'm sounds brutal, but <laughs> like looking at the same thing every day. But like you're not learning anything, I guess, if you're not trying different stuff, moving around, you know. And uh, I think just just taking note of everything you can is so so important. Yeah, I can totally see that. Right. So like, um, going into the season. Like how many, uh, like setups do you have or like locations? Do you, like I think Infault says like thirty to fifty or something. But what do you guys usually, you know, shoot for? Yeah, or, I mean, I don't. I guess I wouldn't say there is a number. Per, like, uh, you know, maybe that there's. Yeah, maybe there is like thirty that we for sure know of, but. You know, there's ton. I mean, there's tons of hunts that, like, within a season, like we've never even planned on ever even thinking about something, and you know, a, uh, a uh, we, you're, let's say, let's say your plan, your plan one for a setup failed miserably. Like, I'm not even in the game. So, like, you just pick up shop and you move 200 yards, and then like you're hunting in an area that you've never even been to. Like, we do that all the time. So. I don't even know that there's a number. It's just mostly being open-minded about, hey, you know, I like this spot, but, like, may go in there on opening day and there's two tree stands, you know, right, right in that same spot. And if that's the case, then I'm just going to adjust and move. So, um, don't, I don't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I personally even think about setups necessarily. Maybe a couple here and there that I get really excited about, like, specific spots, but, for the most part, it's just kind of this like open mind of just like, I'm going to go to this location today and I may set up here, but I may set up here, you know, right. or I may, I may just kind of still hunt, through, you know, through here, you know, and it, it's just, I don't know. I, there's so many areas that I'm interested in. Um, and I like to bounce around so much that it's just day to day thing. Right. I guess I, I've, I said setup. I should have said more like locations. Like, you know, you go into a have like a certain location that you want to go into. Maybe not necessarily a certain tree or setup, but like areas that you know for certain winds or you know more like that. Not just a setup, but yeah, I would. Yeah, I guess say it's hard to put a number on it. Right. But yeah, I would say somewhere between thirty and fifty that right. year. So, like, how many? So, how many days during the season do you guys hunt? Like every day? Do you think? I mean, when you're out, I mean, during during the actual season, how many days are you out there hunting? I would say throughout the season, in some fashion, we're pretty much in the woods every day. Um, you know, we're always out hunting or filming or filming our buddies or you know, doing some sort of scouting, driving around. But I mean, hunting wise, I would say, oh, during November, it's definitely pretty hectic. But, um, you know, most days we're in the woods in some fashion. That's, that's for sure. Weather permitting, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Weather (laughs) permitting rain is rain and cameras don't work, work together well. So (laughs) we've been pretty fortunate to not have much much rain the last few seasons we we uh somebody asked a question the other day they asked 
what we do for camera uh, equipment, keeping it dry. And I just said, <laughs> take a trash bag for light rain. And if it's raining hard, we just don't go because not worth the risk. Right. Adam burned one up uh, up north this year. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Or soaked one anyway. Yeah, I put it in my pack, and the uh, pack was just a vessel for all the water. And I, I, I guess I did kind of what what I've been learning from, you know, watching you guys and and doing some of the other stuff. Is I got up there, it was raining. I put the camera gear away, and I said, you know, it's just not happening right here. So I did some of that scouting, still hunting kind of stuff, and I found some great information. And then I got back, and all the condensation from any of the water that was on there. And all my walking around just heated up, and it all went right to the camera. Oh, so, uh, no. So it was it was uh, toast. So I did that. Yeah. And I also, uh, during another one of the trips where I was still hunting, wandering out to where I was going, I came upon a, a really good buck, probably the best buck that I've seen um, on our property. And um, so I got got down, got tried to do a little stalk over there, got as close as I could. And uh, I set my gear down, and I had a uh, camouflage GPS, and uh, got up in the tree stand about a half hour later after thinking I picked up all my stuff, and um, thought, man, I should put this spot in the GPS, and the GPS is still there <laughs> in the woods somewhere. So, <laughs> oh man! So despite all the double camera angle, self filmed misses, and things that I had, um, I also had a thousand dollars worth of gear destroyed or left in the woods so it's awesome yeah <laughs> learning experience that's, that sucks yeah yeah we had a we had a camera one of when we were first starting one of our first camera setups uh there was a day that it was kind of on and off rain it was you know supposed to be um ending you know at the time frame that one of our buddies wanted to go out and and actually jake was going to film him raining all day it stops they give it a few minutes you know half hour whatever to make sure that it stops nothing on the forecast they start to walk out and they get out there and it just starts downpouring on them and they fried one of our only two cameras that we had at the time so like you know talk about the stress going up and that's that's the day we drew the line of like if it's raining like we're not going because <laughs> we didn't have a lot of equipment to be to be uh you know being risky with i guess so when we're talking about um, these sort of tactics and uh, the group of guys that you hunt with, um, it seems like you guys are all on the same page as far as um, finding the deer and finding the area. But it seems like maybe there's a couple of different groups or a couple of different schools of thought. Um, it seems like Greg hunts a little bit more from the tree stand and kind of like stand hunting. And you guys mm -hmm. kind of sneak your way along and, and, and things like that. Is that accurate? Would you say? Yeah. Um, I definitely would say that I'm the one that has been pushing the ground thing a little bit more. Um, and it's mostly because I, I'm, and it's not anything against tree stand hunting, like as a, as a whole, it's, it's my personality. I'm so impatient that I've got to know what's around the next corner. And growing up turkey hunting and um, on public land and hilly terrain, you know, we weren't sitting. We weren't ever set up on a, a field or uh, even deer hunting to a certain degree. You know, it wasn't ever just a total setup. And 
that ability to move just makes it for one more enjoyable for me just from a you know boredom standpoint and two i just like to see new stuff every day and every time i'm out and just kind of see how things have changed you know sure you know i may have seen that bedding area in the summer but what's it look like now you know because that could be super beneficial it could mean hey i need to spend more time here or i need to not be hunting here because that was the seasonal bedding area and a lot of times if let's say for example we go into an area in mid-october and we're going to hunt a river system where we found some beds on an oxbow and those beds that we found were in the summer we go in there we set up don't see anything then we're going to get up and go search and snoop around and see if you know if we're just wasting our time and sometimes we find you know sometimes we mess up and we spook gear and other times we find hey that was seasonal and like we we messed up by you know not thinking it through enough i guess and i guess going back to your question i would say there's definitely um i guess just different everybody has their own things that they like i don't like sitting all day and greg likes sitting all day i you you have a you have to pay me to sit all day more than about <laughs> four or five times and and I, I don't mean be out in the woods all day i'd love to be out in the woods all day but i can't sit in one tree stand for a full day more than five times because by about two o'clock i'm like okay like <laughs> i'm gonna lose my mind up here you know so um everybody just and that's and that's a fun thing and and we all can do you know the other styles um each other's styles but it's fun just to have nice you know it's nice to have different ideas and and just bounce those ideas off of each other because i feel like as a group that's when we're working our best you know and Sometimes it may, you know, sometimes it may be I'm looking at something from a ground perspective only and somebody's like, hey, you know, you could get in here and get a stand and you'd at least have a vantage, you know, on something and bring a new idea to me. It's like, oh, duh, you know, or or from a different perspective, it's like, hey, ditch that stand and go get in there with them, you know. And I think that that's the beauty of working as a team and not just going by yourself is you've got other people's opinions. and different ideas to bounce off of well it's definitely really fun to watch i mean getting to see the the diversity and the different like say the different styles but um one of the things that i find interesting and um my father-in-law he i don't know if it's because he's been at it longer or Mm -hmm. he's um i don't know I, i i guess in my thinking I think that I have to be in the woods an hour before daylight and I need to be, you know, in the stand while everything is waking up. And I used to think that it was just because he was old and that he didn't want to get up early anymore. And he's like, Oh, we'll have some Mm -hmm. coffee. We'll stop at the gas station and we'll get in there right when it's breaking light and we'll just kind of wander our way through. And it's like, that's against everything that I've ever, my thought process, you know, I've, I've got to be there. And kind of what I talked about earlier is that, you know, I feel like if I'm going to hunt, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take this day and I'm going to hunt, even if it's a bad day or whatever. And I guess right. to me, my, my mindset has always been, if I'm not there at least a half hour before it's light, then I'm doing something wrong. It's a, it's a bad day. Now watching you guys mm-hmm. go in either as it's breaking day or even, <laughs> even after that and saying, well, or 
like I said, I want to hear the story about the, the ghillie suit buck, but I mean, you guys finally got into position with a half hour left of shooting light or something, which yeah. is just absurd by the way that <laughs> I've always looked at deer hunting or I've always said, well, you know, you have to be there so so X amount of time in, in between or before, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you say that. And, I, and, you know, I used to be that, that way and, and there are some hunts where I'm that way too, but ultimately I guess I, there's been enough of, and this is something, a lesson that my dad taught me when I was young. And it actually, I can actually relate a quick, a real quick story. So my first buck, me and my dad went in to hunt my grandpa's farm. And we'd went in there and the, the, we had a, it was a tripod tree stand that was tucked into some pines that were about the same height as that tree stand. So the pines at that time were about 15 feet tall roughly, or, or, or they were about 15 and let's say the tripod tree stand was 12. Well, that tree stand was notorious for blowing over in the wind. Well, I had these big plans of going in there and setting up in that stand, get there, come to find out in the dark that it's on the ground. So, you know, cool, cool, calm morning during muzzleloader season in Ohio. And I'm not going to try to put this tree stand up. Well, I was super flustered. I'm frustrated because I feel, you know, it's the last day. I feel like, you know, there's no way we're ever going to kill anything in the setup off the ground beside it. Well, finally, my dad was just like, hey, he's like, you know, like sometimes it doesn't, it isn't going to go the way you want it to. But like, you know, you got to just stay positive and be open minded because it's deer hunting. A lot of anything can happen, you know. So he's like, you want to throw that stand up and, and see if like something doesn't pan out like whatever like we got nothing to lose now <laughs> so we throw that tree stand up as quiet as we can get it stood back up i climb into it and i kid you not less than 20 minutes later i shot my first buck and it was in, like a buck that i'd still shoot to this day <laughs> so i guess like i've ha i have that mentality that you're talking about sometimes and i also sometimes have to take a step back and be relaxed about it because, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, not, not everything's going to go as planned. You may walk in, you may bump something, you may, you know, walk in and not have a lot of confidence in your setup, whatever it may be. But I'm actually a lot of times now having just as much fun going in with that. I'm actually having more fun going in with that relaxed mindset of not necessarily having to be there, you know, at a specific time. And, you know, sometimes something bad's going to happen. And luckily this year, I didn't have anything bad happen where I missed an opportunity because of doing that. But, you know, my I guess my mentality of it is, is more or less when I'm on the ground. If I don't have to be anywhere, if I'm not going anywhere specifically, then I'm never late. That makes sense. Right. So the, I think the problem come, with that mentality kind of comes when or, or, or just not a problem, but it can be an issue is when you are trying to hang a tree stand because like, I'm pretty sure like three times in one day, Aaron had a shooter buck walk within range of him and was hanging the stand. <laughs> so that does happen, but, you know, I guess with having that mentality, you also have to realize, hey, something, something like that I, I could miss an opportunity because of this. But from a ground perspective, it's, I'm, I'm, I feel the most relaxed and in, if I, like, I think that's the best way to put it, I guess, is if I don't have anywhere to be, I'm not late. So therefore my, 
stress level is lower and I'm simply just going in and being super observant and taking it all in slow and not getting ahead of myself. And and when you're still hunting, that's the number one key. That's the number one time you fail is when you start getting ahead of yourself. Same goes for as you're sneaking into a setup. You know, you're on the ground or with a tree stand for that matter. As you're sneaking in or going into a setup, if you're too ahead of yourself and you're thinking, I have to be there at this specific time, then you're going to do something wrong. You're going to break a big log. You're going to break a twig or you're going to get your stand caught on something and make a bunch of noise. And really the mentality that I've found is best is when I'm totally relaxed, not worried about a specific time. Obviously, you know, they're like, I don't want to get there and it'd be dark, but you know, like it's, it's definitely made it more enjoyable for me by being more relaxed on the time frame thing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was watching, I didn't realize until you had mentioned it that you guys were on the, the Amazon TV. So that's been really great for me um, to, to sit yeah. and watch them on, the, on a larger screen. Um, sure. But you guys are trying all different sorts of stuff with the, uh, with that, uh, the buck decoy that you were carrying around. I'd never seen that, uh, that encounter you and Jake had how close um, oh, yeah. was that buck? You're sitting there just right behind the buck decoy and it had to be yeah. 15 yeah. yards, 20 yeah, yards or yeah. something. Yeah. He was in shooting range for sure. And there was, I'm trying, Oh, there was one time I definitely could have got a shot at him, but I didn't have the decoy fake like I wanted to. So like I didn't, I had one hand, my, my bow arm, um, you know, my left arm holding that decoy up in front of me, not having it stake down. But yeah, that's, so I actually got that idea. I'm definitely not going to take credit for that. I got that idea from uh, watching the Whitetail Adrenaline guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of them, but yeah, I've, uh, I've seen they, some of their like promos and stuff. And that looks wild. Yeah. And they do it. They do it with a, a really, they have like a homemade one, but I, the heads up decoy is the one that I'm using in that video. And I just kind of came across it one day and I was like, oh, that'd be perfect for kind of, you know, essentially trying to reap a buck. And I um, had seen those white tail adrenaline guys do it. I knew it would be, you know, something that, you know, I, I knew it would work in the right situation. Well, that day, that day was a time when it was a learning experience, right? So that day was kind of this deal where I wanted to be in that general line. I wanted to be in that transition line where we were. And I knew that the buck would likely be traveling that transition line. The problem occurred not by the time frame thing. You know, I knew we could be somewhere on that line and likely catch him in daylight, you know, in a couple hundred yard stretch if we were there in the, you know, that first, you know, hour of, of daylight. I knew if we were somewhere in that stretch, we could likely run into a buck because I knew that there was some, there was some proven mature buck bedding areas right beside that transition line we were on. So had really good expectations. The problem came there when uh, we got lazy and we were, talk I was talking to the camera about some rubs and we were excited 
that, you know, the buck sign was there, which should have known that it was going to be there, should have been ready to kill a deer and just kind of got lazy in that regard and didn't have enough cover. If we'd have had enough cover, if we'd have had simply a decent sized tree, I truly believe we'd have killed that deer. And, you know, I guess it kind of goes into, it's, I kind of would relate it to getting ahead of yourself. It's kind of the same thing. Like we just were excited and we weren't paying enough attention to every little fine detail. And, you know, we made a mistake, but we learned a ton from that. So from there on out, every time we were still hunting, we were looking not just for the next cover, but we were looking for the next three spots of cover. Like what's our next small goal? You know, what's our next, you know, two yard move. So let's say I'm, and then let's say I make it halfway to my next five yard move and I'm at two and a half yards from the cover. What's my plan B, you know, what's my next best option. And I think that, you know, that day was a huge step in a, a learning curve of just like, Hey, if you're not on top of every, you know, if you're not on top of your game at every moment, especially when you're talking about the rut and when you're putting yourself into a position still hunting where you're going to be in the action, if you're not thinking about all those super fine details, you can mess up real easily. You could have a really close encounter and you have a bunch of really close encounters. But if you're not thinking about every little fine detail, then you can, you can definitely mess them up real easy. And, I, and I'm not perfect at it by any means. I mean, heck. We've we've messed up plenty of ground hunts just because we weren't on top of our game, I guess. It's part of the learning curve though, and if I think if you make a mistake, definitely take note of that and try to prevent that the next time. So did you guys have the um the uh decoy with you when you killed that buck with a ghillie suit? Um, it was definitely in the car. I think we took it a couple of um we definitely had it a couple of those hunts like prior, like leading up to it. Um, it's just kind of one of those things that sometimes we have it. And if the situation's right and the setup's right, we'll either set it up or, you know, if we're in, we find ourselves, you know, I, I, the reason I carry it mostly is so if I ever see a lockdown buck, that's when I want to use it the most um, is a buck with a doe bedded down and, you know, doing their thing. Cause a lot of times a buck will put himself during the rut. Everybody hates lockdown and I won't get into a tangent there, but if a buck, when a buck beds with a doe, he puts himself in a bad spot. A lot of times, a lot more or, or a lot worse of a spot than he would bed on his own. So the reason I take that decoy is I feel like if you were to ever spot a buck lockdown, the worst thing that you can do in my opinion is sit there and watch him. Because the odds of him coming to you are pretty dang low. Right. <laughs> um, so if you, especially if you've got some distance be, behind it, if you've got 300 yards and you've got, you know, uh, plenty of room to work with to walk and get around and whatever, a lot of times when they bed with that doe, they bed in a location where not a lot of deer are going to get downwind of them. You know, they'll take, they'll push that doe back into a back corner. And I, this is something I learned from my buddy, Justin sign. Um, I was hunting with him one year and he told, he explained the spot and I, I couldn't make total sense of the spot, but he said a lot of times during this phase, you know, this time frame, bucks will push does into this back corner of this woodlot with the road 
is being downwind of where they're bedded. And the reason being is no bucks can get downwind of, no other bucks, no other deer can get downwind of that hot doe. So when that's the case, I feel like that decoy is an awesome option because, you know, you don't really know where they're going to go. You know, you can make a decent guess and sometimes you can put yourself in the right spot, but it's kind of like turkeys. You know, I always say if a tur- if I can see a Tom, he's in trouble because I know what he's doing and know where he's, where his weaknesses are. Same with a buck that's better with a doe. Same with a buck that's, you know, better in general, but especially a buck that's better with a doe. If you can see him, you can see what his flaws are. You can also tell, you know, take your best guess of where they're going to go next. But, you know, I, I, I guess ultimately that's why I carry that decoy is in hopes of eventually running into a uh, buck better with a doe. But it's also just a great tool to have in general because if you are set up and you don't have a lot of cover, you know, you can use it as a distraction too, for sure. It's such an easy little thing to pack and it breaks down and it's, it's a nice little tool to have, but it's definitely not the only decoy we use either. We got a couple other decoys that we use and we all really enjoy using decoys. With the, with that, why don't you take us through the, the ghillie suit hunt? Um, yeah. So that morning we started off in a spot where we had tons of, tons of action this season and, uh, went in there with, with high hopes, ran into a guy who we actually had a miscommunication with in the morning. We ended up talking to him quite a bit that day and his, him and his family were there from Vermont and <laughs> believe it or not, it's a guy that I've ran into on public land in Ohio before. <laughs> so I've ran into this guy two times in two different States on public land. And, uh, we, I mean, we really enjoyed talking to him. We just had a weird miscommunication. So the first time was kind of messed up. And then we, um, and he was kind of doing something similar to what we were doing. He was just still hunting. So we just kind of still hunted into each other. He didn't see us, but we backed out of there, ran into him back up at the, you know, on the road. And then we went and tried a couple different other spots. We were just kind of covering some ground, seeing where the hunting pressure was in the middle of the day. We didn't have any real good leads. And then um, saw a mature buck at one point <laughs> crossing the road went after him for a little bit, kind of blew up the world there. And then, you know, come 2.30, we were like, well, do we quit? Or, you know, can we pull something off here? Because we don't have any good leads. We just blew up, you know, a whole betting area because we were trying to cut a buck off that we saw, you know, going into some public. And we remembered that there was a spot that we'd wanted to check out. And we'd hunted across the river the night before, but we'd noticed that there was some standing corn in another area of that unit that we wanted to, uh, or that we had scouted and knew that, you know, knew could hold some mature bucks. And by seeing that standing corn, the reason that that made me want to check it specifically is I feel that to a certain degree, standing corn is like this. Now, some people see it as a food source and, and it is, but a lot of people won't go past standing corn if that makes any sense so they'll get to it and they just will either sit right on top of it or they don't want to walk through it or whatever it may be and I just wanted to see what was you know back deeper into the public because I knew obviously with the standing corn you've got a destination food source and a lot of that pressure is probably right there on that food source well sure enough on the way in 
we ran into two tree stands on that standing corn. Got back deeper in there, and, and basically the way this property sets up is there's a number of fields that um, kind of just go deeper and deeper into the public, and then right off of those fields is just this massive cattail marsh with willows, and it's nasty. I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the river, so it's probably... Oh, honestly, to put to put an acreage or a size on it, I, I I can't even do it. It's just this mass of cattails with just awesome bedding habitat. And I've scouted, I scouted that area. We've, I mean, we've all been in there in some fashion. Also, an awesome place to kill turkeys. Killed a lot of turkeys there, but we knew that likely nobody had been in that cattail marsh simply because you can't get a stand in there. You know, you you have got these guys that are up by that standing cornfield not really going past it, just kind of hunting around it. And there's a lot of pressure. Those deer, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, they're avoiding, they know where those hunters are. They're going to avoid that area. So our theory was, let's get back in there. Let's get right into the bedding area. And yeah, it was pretty, pretty late. I think by the time we got set up, it was 345. But I remember it like from 3.20 to 3.45, Jake and I sat and contemplated, you know, is this the right spot or is it not? Do we need to go deeper? But basically our risk was is we're in the bedding area now, but do we need to go to the center of the bedding area and risk blowing deer out of there? More deer? I guess we did have one deer blowing at us a few times. Not a hard bump, but, you know, definitely caught our wind further back in the bedding area. We're like, do we risk going in further or is that just going to hurt us in the long run? Ultimately, we decided that we could hunt one day where we were. And then we had the same wind the following day so we could push in if need be. Got set up, a classic, one of our ground setups, an awesome little spot. It's a, we try to get around those willows with that canary grass. And that canary grass kind of just wraps around those trees. And you can create these little holes in it. So we got in, got set up, we kind of lifted the grass around it, and we're wearing those ghillie suits, and those ghillie suits blend in with that canary grass unbelievably well. And the spot we were on exactly was kind of a runway of that canary grass, and it was between two giant blocks of cattails. And there's deer bedding on either side of that runway. It's just a probably a 30-yard wide little strip of canary grass that goes right to the middle. And those, the bulk of the deer, you could tell, were coming out of those cattails, going to that little patch of canary grass because it was easier to walk. And they were going right straight towards that lane, or I guess that little strip, I guess, going towards that destination food source. There was t- totally hammered trails down through there. And we had assumed that the bulk of the does we're going east and west down that path. We figured towards dark, if any bucks were going to be following those does, they would either come following behind or if a buck wanted to cut the trails of that main, you know, I guess, system of trails that was going towards that food source, if he was going to cut them and just, you know, scent check trails versus the, you know, bedding area, I guess, that he was going to come right past us too. We sat there. I mean, the sign was unbelievable. So we were like, you know, we, in our minds, we were totally going to see deer. 
and we're getting to be, you know, four thirty or so. I don't know. It got dark at five thirty at that point, I think. And <laughs> I remember I was standing on that that tree that we were in. There was a log, and I was standing on it to get a vantage, and I was looking deep, you know, significantly deeper into the the um, bedding area than than you can tell from or you know from what you can see in the video. So I could see a hundred yards down in there, at least would be able to catch a glimpse of a deer. And I turned to Jake and I was like, man, I don't know how we're not seeing deer. And I kid you not, less than two minutes after that, I hear a crack and it was really wet that day. So I wasn't hearing any movement through that grass. And I looked up and I just see big rack and I make just, you know, a silly mistake and I moved instantly. And I saw his head kind of perk up just based off of seeing the tips of his antlers. And I told Jake that there was a big buck and then I probably just messed it up. And I got tucked into my little hole, got my bow quick, got, you know, loaded, was ready to go. And he popped out and he gave us a quick glance. If you watch him closely, he pops out and looks directly at us and then sees that there's nothing there and instantly gives up on it. And then just hits hits those trail and then cuts right back into the bedding area. And as soon as he did that, I had a had a little hole planned where I was gonna shoot and where I knew I could draw and stand up and he was never gonna see me. That's exactly what I did. I just drew and his head went behind that, stood up and was sitting there waiting for him as soon as he stepped out. But basically the you know, the main main thought there is get into an area where you know, people aren't, you know, I guess as simple as that, you know, nobody was hunting in there because everybody's so tree stand oriented that they weren't thinking to just go plop themselves right in the middle of the bedding area. Now it is a risky, it is a risky sit. I mean, we bumped a deer going in, we had a deer blowing at us, but we still killed a buck. So I think just putting yourself into those situations more often is, you know, yeah, you're going to spook deer, but you know, you're going to also, be where the mature buck wants to be you know deer blow at stuff you know deer blow at raccoons sometimes so i think if you worry too much about you know sitting back then you're you're uh really sometimes hurting yourself more more than you're doing good yeah one of the things that i like about that video is once you shoot like the raw emotion and the excitement is like, <laughs> you know, unmistakable. And it, that, that is yeah. so cool. I mean, it's, it's one thing when a guy shoots a deer and he says, Oh, I smoked him or something and something very cliche. <laughs> but I mean, that was like probably yeah. one of the most raw emotional videos that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, man. I, that's, that's what, that's what I like to hear. Cause that's exactly what I am. I'm get pretty emo like, you know, I get pretty worked up out there and that's, that's what keeps keeps me coming back, I guess. I think I think the uh buck that I killed in Nebraska is also a funny a funny uh reaction, I guess. Jake and I totally lost our minds because we just been you know, almost more so than when we did um with that Iowa buck just because we had been hunting for so long and really had not had any I mean we'd had some you know good encounters and stuff but we hadn't had like even a close missed opportunity or something and it was like for it all to come together on the second to last day there in nebraska was just totally wild and like we yeah i mean we 
we really enjoy the uh you know the fun i guess that shooting brings it brings it brings some funny it brings some funny stuff out of people <laughs> now now i gotta ask you is has there been some uh times where they haven't got it on film because in both of those is in the as excited as you are and i know that there's a lot of work that goes into it but it's like the first thing that you ask is like did you get that like did you get that yeah. <laughs> i think it's i think it's because my mind turns to complete mush when like or not mush but like i'm in my zone you know and like i sometimes feel like i forget to i think it's more of a personal thing you know i forget to be as maybe as focused as I should maybe it's more that I'm worried that I messed up than them because it's just as much the hunter's responsibility to make sure that it gets on as much as it is the cameraman's because if I just shoot and don't ever like clarify with them then like that's (laughs) that's uh you know my fault more or less so yeah we did uh, did that uh last year turkey hunt I did that to John I didn't. I didn't just, ask him if he was uh, on the. I just shot. <laughs> I was like, what yeah. the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I, I think that's probably more of what uh, of what I'm thinking than anything. Because you know, I were on the ground, like in kind of a. You know, it's it's definitely harder to film off of the ground than it is to uh, film with a tree arm and a, you know, a can. Uh, ended up in a tree stand or or even a lot of those setups you know at the beginning we were like should we bring a tripod you know we can get better you know cutaway stuff whatever and like by the end it was like nope that's not gonna work free hands like and that's hard and, and you know well, I, put I guess, that that production quality that like i said i've been watching it on you know on on a big tv and like i just marvel at you know the the stuff that we're we are trying to film and things versus like the way that you guys are putting it together and to do that freehand is is very very well done. Well, thanks. We we appreciate it, and I'll I'll pass the word on to <laughs> to Jake and all the rest of the guys because because really that is something you know that we take a lot of pride in is is trying to you know film it in the best of our ability and kind of portray it in a way that you know the viewers can understand. I guess. And, and uh and so our main focus obviously <laughs> right and so we, I, we've had a great time talking to you and um uh, we could talk to you for hours and hours but we like so we're talking about all these videos and things where can people go and find all these videos that we're talking about right now uh you can watch them on youtube and on amazon and we're also in the works of getting a website up and we'll have hopefully some videos on there and hopefully even some written stuff, um, tips, tactics, you know, our YouTube channel right now, we've got a public land blog, you know, like daily vlog type series. Uh, we've got a private land. We've got tips and tactics. We're going to have scouting. We're going to have turkey hunting and have fishing. So we're pretty excited about the future. We feel that, uh, we're just going to continue to be cranking out content on all our platforms. And yeah, if you can find, yeah, you can find it on basically anywhere online, you know, YouTube, Amazon, our website. So. You you guys are also doing a, a, a podcast and you do it a pretty uh, interesting, interactive way. So you should probably yeah. say something about that too. Yeah. The 
podcast is something that we're really excited about too. Um, we just recently uh, kind of got a new new software where we're experimenting with, and our podcasts are also now on YouTube, um, where we're discussing a number of different topics that we feel are relevant at the time, or even recapping some of the hunts a little bit more in depth. And we've got um, software now where we're able to actually pull up maps, uh, pull up pictures, clips, and show them on that like podcast platform. Because we're recording all these and we're making them live on Facebook and Instagram. And all that stuff goes right onto a live video. And then we, well, as soon as we're done, we put it right up on YouTube. So you can watch it on Facebook as well. And um, yeah, we try to keep it as interactive as possible. So if you go over and you like our Facebook and Instagram page, you can interact with us. We can talk about, you know, we'll, you know, we'll take questions at, at the end or we take questions. We pretty much are just taking questions throughout the whole, the whole thing. Um, you know, people may ask a question, you know, in relation to the story that we're talking about at a specific time, or they just may have a, a more general question. And we, uh, you know, even the questions that we don't get to, we'll go back and we'll uh, reply to those questions later on as well. So in the comments, but yeah, we're really excited about the podcast as well. Well, I think we're we're following along pretty much with everything that you're doing, and we really appreciate you coming on here. So, uh, yeah. I think that's all we got for uh, for this evening. So that's uh, another one of our podcasts in the books. But again, thank you so much for coming on with us. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. All right. All right. Thanks. That's going to do it for us today with the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In wild country, 
Rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.